Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. Well, good evening. Uh, you're probably wondering, where's Doris tonight? And uh, that, that'd be a fair question. Uh, Doris asked me to sit in for her tonight, and she'll, she'll be back next week. And uh, it's partially because of the content of tonight's show. We have a pre-recorded segment, and uh, you'll see Doris along with our, our guests tonight. Before we do that, before we cut to that, I want to make a few quick announcements. Uh, you're missing Doris. You're probably missing some other people. We've been asked a lot about Sean McCraney recently, and uh, we announced last week as well. If you're trying to track where Sean is, uh, Sean's gone national. He's on the NRB network now, and uh, the NRB network, can, you can find it on DirecTV and also on Sky Angel. So DirecTV, it's channel 378, and Sky Angel, uh, channel 181. Uh, if you don't get either of those, you can still watch him online. He direct streams on Tuesday nights at uh, 8 o'clock like normal, and uh, uh, you can just go to uh, www.hotm.tv. And, uh, and he's there, so he'd love to see you. Sean's also still doing uh, his church in, uh, in Salt Lake City. Uh, it's called Campus, C-A-M-P-U-S, with dots all in between. Uh, it's meeting in a new place, uh, actually since the beginning of this month. So if you're having a hard time trying to find him, he's not at the U. Uh, he's at uh, 137 West, 4640 South in Salt Lake City. Uh, they meet it on Sundays at 10 a.m. for the milk portion, and they're going through the Gospel of John. Oh, Gospel of John, it's awesome. Uh, and also 2.30 in the afternoon for meet in Hebrews, which is also totally awesome. I highly endorse both of those. Sean's a great teacher, good friend. So uh, if you're having a hard time, find him. Uh, that's how you can do it. By the way, too, you can also just uh, write him on email, sean at uh, campus.com, and there's dashes between campus, c dash and all. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, so anyway, you can track him down that way. Good friend. We're glad he's, uh, he's doing great stuff. Also, someone you've probably been missing uh, since last December is Earl Erskine, uh, Bishop Earl. And, uh, and Earl's coming back on the air the first Friday in May. So please tune in. He'll be right here on TV 20 in May. Uh, May 3rd is what it is at 8 p.m. like his normal time. Uh, to find out more about the details and some of the uh, archived shows there, you can just go to the, uh, the website at the bottom of your page there as you see it and uh, just check up on him. Earl's just excited. By the way, too, um, Earl had a lot of previously recorded interviews that had yet to make it onto the air. So we're excited because there's some great interviews in there. Sandra Tanner's in there. Uh, all the guys from Adams Road are in there. So, uh, so when May comes, start watching. It's, it's going to be a great collection. I've seen some of the interviews already, and they're really, really good. Well, let me move right along to the pre-recorded what we did. Uh, about a month ago, maybe a little less than a month ago, um, a fella came into town, Ken Ham, Ken Ham is known nationwide. He's an expert on creation issues. He's actually an expert on the issues on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And as a result, the organization that he, that he heads is called Answers in Genesis. Um, and so, uh, so we decided while he was in town, Doris picked up her notepad and uh, we went down and found him and uh, decided to record his being in town. He couldn't come on live. So tonight we want to show that. It's, it's about a half an hour of Ken Ham and Doris. So you're missing Doris right now, I know. I'm not offended, but here's Doris interviewing Ken Ham. Give a listen. Okay, we have a special guest with us, and despite his so busy schedule, he has graciously agreed to an interview with us. 
Ken Ham is founder and he's president and CEO, CEO of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum, which is in Kentucky. He's one of the world's leading authorities on the biblical creation account, and the purpose of his ministry includes speaking up for the inerrancy of creation as the book of Genesis records it, and equipping Christians to intelligently defend Bible creation. And so I'd like to introduce and welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, it's my to, pleasure. Great to the, be with for you. For the interview. Uh, we, we live in challenging times. I'm sure you're discovering mm -hmm. that everywhere you go globally. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are several cultural beliefs that we Christians face living in this particular culture. And you defend the book of Genesis, particularly the first 11 chapters of the Bible as being true and should be taken literally. Would you tell us why it should be taken literally and what's the danger of it not being taken literally? Well, first of all, the first 11 chapters of the Bible are actually foundational to the entire rest of the Bible, foundational to all doctrine, foundational to the gospel message. I mean, if you, for instance, look in the New Testament, uh, when we read uh, what God says through Paul, for instance, Romans 5, by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. Mm -hmm. And of course, referring back to the one man Adam in Genesis, 1 Corinthians 15.45, the first man Adam. And of course, the first man Adam is then compared to the last Adam. Through the first Adam came uh, death uh, as a result of sin. And through the last Adam came life through his death and, and resurrection on the cross. You know, in Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he immediately referred to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter mm -hmm. 2. Have you not read? He which made them, at the beginning made them male and female. And actually, as you start to look at it very carefully, you start to realize every single biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on a cross? It's got to go back to Genesis 1 to mm -hmm. 11. Why do we wear clothes? Actually, God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there sin? Genesis 1 to 11, because the first man rebelled against God. There was a literal rebellion. That's why we're sinners. And because we're all descendants of that one man, that's why uh, we know that we're all sinners. Uh, and then why do we need a new heavens and new earth? Because of what happened to the heavens and earth now. They're yeah. groaning because of sin. And so it goes on. And here's the thing. Uh, th there's two aspects to this. One aspect is, if you don't believe Genesis 1 to 11 is literal history, you have no foundation for the rest of the Bible, mm -hmm. no foundation for the gospel. If you say it's just allegory, then, then who are we? Where did we come from? Then what is sin? Then why do we need a savior? Actually, Genesis 3.15 is really a summary of the gospel. I put enmity mm -hmm. between you and the woman, your seed, her seed, shall bruise, your head thou shalt bruise his heel. That's really the gospel right there. It's called the proto-gospel. Uh, if you don't believe Genesis literal history, you have no foundation for the rest of the Bible, for your doctrine, for the gospel. But there's, there's another aspect to it, and it's this. You see, many, many Christians today, many Christian leaders, unfortunately, uh, many Christian academics, even many pastors will say, well, we don't need Genesis, or we can believe in millions of years, or evolution. We'll say God used evolution. We can reinterpret the days of creation, or reinterpret the account of Adam and Eve to say they resulted from an evolutionary process. But as soon as you do that, what you're actually doing is taking ideas outside the Bible mm -hmm. and adding them to the Bible and then reinterpreting the Bible, which means you're unlocking a door. And the door you're unlocking is you don't have to take this as written. You can use man's fallible ideas from outside the Bible mm -hmm. and reinterpret the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say is this. Look at our Western world. Look at our American culture. It's collapsing from a Christian perspective. We're losing two-thirds of young people from the church. 
By the time they reach college age, two-thirds are walking away from the church. And we've done the research as to why. It's because at a young age they start to doubt the Bible mm -hmm. and that doubt leads to unbelief. And it all has to do with, and a lot to do with, the teaching of evolution millions of years that many pastors have accepted and said you just add that to the Bible. These young people see it as hypocrisy, inconsistency, so they start to doubt that the Bible can be true in the beginning. So why believe the rest so of it? So they don't have a real solid and foundation? Then you lose that foundation. Yeah. And that's really what's happening. In the Book of Mormon, which is a Mormon scripture, it's one of their scriptures. It's mm -hmm. called the Book of Mormon. In Second Nephi, there's a passage about that talks about the fall of Adam and Eve. It says that if Adam and Eve had not transgressed, they would have remained forever in a state of innocence. It says they would never have known joy because they would never have known misery. They would have never done any good because they never did sin. And then, in, and then it says that Adam fell that man might be and men are that they might have joy. This verse teaches that the fall of Adam and Eve was a good thing and that they had to disobey God in order to have children. In essence, I have three questions, a three-part question here. In essence, they fell upwards. The first question, part of the question is, is it possible that God would set them up to disobey Him? Second part is, is it possible that the fall was a good thing? And third, were they able to have children before they ate the fruit? Well, you've, uh, <laughs> you've asked about two hours worth of questions there. Yes, so I know. So we'll see if we can summarize them for you. Um, first of all, the Bible makes it very, very clear that, in fact, what the Book of Mormon there is saying then is opposite mm -hmm. to the Bible. It's just opposite in every way. And, you know, that is a, a, what, what I notice about uh, the devil, uh, that he always wants a counterfeit of what God has done. And uh, he, so he does something that's opposite. Uh, you know, right, right there at the beginning, God said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Mm -hmm. In other words, death was going to be uh, the result of sin. And that's why in the New Testament it says, by one man sin in the world and death by sin. Do you think death is a nice thing? Uh, that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, it doesn't. Death and disease. You know, Romans 8 says the whole of creation groans. Mm -hmm. And we groan. The older you get, the more you groan. Have you noticed that too? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because of sin, we start to wear out. We yeah. degenerate. That's not joy. I wouldn't call that joy. When you see someone with Alzheimer's, do you call that joy? Not at all. And uh, not only that, the Bible says, for instance, you know, we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's where there's going to be all joy. See, it was all joy to start with. Mm -hmm. It was all love to start with. It was all beauty to start with. But we messed it up because we and Adam sinned against God. So mm -hmm. the fall was downwards, not upwards. And that's why there's going to be a restoration. That's what it says in Acts 3, mm -hmm. uh, restored to what it used to be. And uh, then uh, there'll be no more death, it says, no right. more crying, no more sorrow. And there, think, and about, think about those scriptures. No more death, no more crying, no more sorrow. Right? Uh, and in other words, that's what we suffer right now. And the other thing is, the Bible calls death an enemy. Mm -hmm. It's an intrusion. It's an enemy because of sin. So, uh, Adam, if you sin, this is what will happen to you. And, and then there, because of sin, cursed is the ground. Now it won't yield to us uh, uh, very easily. Now there's going to be thorns and weeds and it's hard work trying to get food. Wow. You know, for the Book of Mormon to say that, that that's so opposite of the truth. And it's mm -hmm. so... It's just opposite of what we even experience today. And they're not believing, however, that they could have had children unless they ate the fruit. Well, wait a minute. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Before, before right. uh, they ate the fruit. So 
uh, God wanted them to be fruitful and multiply. Now, I don't believe that they had any children until after they fell, until after they ate the fruit, because the Bible says in sin did my mother conceive me. All have sinned and come short mm -hmm. of the glory of God. So we're all sinners. They wouldn't have conceived any in that perfect state. But they were um, able to. They were able to. Absolutely they were able to. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I, I don't believe the fall was too long after uh, Ad uh, Adam was created, actually. I think it could have even been just a few days. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was that long. Mm -hmm. This particular culture also consistently teaches and have taught from the beginning that if you pour, perform enough good works, they can become as can become gods. They actually earn godhood. How does that belief equate with the lie in Genesis three from the serpent that says, "You shall become as, as gods"? God. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the same lie he's perpetrating today that people think that they can be God. And by the way, God is infinite knowledge. That's what Scripture says. He's eternal. He's infinite, uh, infinite knowledge, wisdom. You can't have two infinite beings. There can only be one infinite being. Uh, think about that. And one all-powerful And one all-powerful, yeah. Infinite in every way. Infinite power, infinite wisdom, uh, and, and so on. Uh, but, you know, Satan is, Satan is the tempter. And, of course, uh, he tempted Eve, deceived Eve. And, of course, then the Bible says that Adam fell and uh, tempted them that you can be like God. And, mm -hmm. actually... That's, that's our nature. We want to be like God. We want to be our own gods. We want to do our own things. We don't want to obey God. So really, that temptation is to usurp the authority of God, to make us be like God. Of course, mm -hmm. and, and we certainly can't be. Mm -hmm. But um, no, the Bible also says, by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's nothing we can do that saves us. You know, the Bible says we're dead. As non-Christians are dead mm -hmm. in trespasses and sin, just like Lazarus was dead, mm -hmm. right? Now, mm -hmm. Lazarus couldn't raise himself from the dead. Right. It was only when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, that Lazarus was raised from the dead. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Right. If you right. confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It has to be born of, a, of the Spirit of God. Uh, salvation is something that is totally of God. He's the one that saves us. We are dead. As dead people, you can't save yourself. What good works Nothing can you can do can do. save you. It's only God who opens your heart to truth and saves you. And that's mm -hmm. why we preach the Word. We preach the right. Word of God mm -hmm. because it's the Word of God that sharpens the two-edged sword. It's God's Word that will not return unto Him void. Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of, God. the Word of God. So we preach the Word of God and then God uses that because He commands us to mm -hmm. preach His Word to then save the dead. Mm, thank you. Another one, which I'm sure you get asked this, well, maybe not this context, but at least the dark skin. Uh, this culture has taught also from the beginning of Mormonism that black skin came from the curse that God placed on Cain as a punishment for killing his brother Abel. Now, the Book of Mormon and the Book of Abraham, which is another scripture of the Mormon church, are rampant. Both books are rampant with the teaching that dark skin is a result of wickedness. And whenever the wickedness is put aside and in repentance, then their dark skin to, can become white. Would you explain the error in that belief and where did the different skin colors come from? Now, you know, we could talk biblically and scientifically here. Uh -huh. let, me, let me first of all just, just uh, talk scientifically, uh -huh. right? To say someone can become white is nonsense. <laughs> uh, you know, people would say, I'm a white person. I do not want to be a white person. Look, let me give you an illustration. Uh, here is a white sheet of paper, 
Okay, do I look like that? No. If I look like that, you'd be calling 911 right now, wouldn't you? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> See, this, this is white. See, we have a pigment in our skin called melanin. Now, there's, there's a few other pigments, but the main pigment we have is a pigment called melanin. And there's two forms of it, fair melanin, eumelanin, but it's, 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 it's basically a brown pigment, mm -hmm. okay? If you don't have the pigment, you've got real problems, like an albino, because mm -hmm. you you, you're not protected from the sun, you know, ultraviolet light and so on. And so if you have a lot of the pigment, you're very dark. See, there are no black people. There's no such thing as a black person because everyone has the same skin color. It's not a matter of what color you are, it's what shade you are. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've got a lot of the pigment, melanin, you're very dark. If you have a little bit of the pigment, melanin, not as much, you can be very light. The majority of the world's population are actually middle brown. Did you know that middle brown people, there are lots of instances in this in the world, you can have middle brown people that can have children that are darker than them and children that are lighter than them. In fact, we've even got uh, photographs of twins of parents that are either middle brown or one's darker than the other and they can be twins and one's got dark skin, one's got light skin. Very easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's, it's, it's all because of genetics. You know, um, remember when you went to school, seems like millions of years ago, doesn't it, we went <laughs> yes, to school, but um, when we learn about genetics and you label genes with letters like big A, little a, big, big B, little B, remember that? Mm -hmm. Well, with skin, uh, skin shade, there's about 50 genes, they say. But if you've got big A, big B, meaning uh, dominant gene, meaning a lot of, lot of melanin, and little a, little b, meaning a little bit of melanin, then if you've got all big A's and big B's, you'd have a lot of melanin. All little A's and little B's, you'd have a little bit of melanin. Hmm. Uh, Adam and Eve were probably in the middle, right? So middle brown, big A, little a, big B, little b. That makes sense because of the genetic variation that we see in the world's population. You know, in the Human Genome Project in the year 2000 mapped the human genome, they said, guess what we found? We're all one race, we're all related. There are no different races. We're all one race. That's why the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every tribe and nation because uh, we're all descendants of Adam, right? Yes. Because it's Adam's descendants that are saved because mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, as God's son, God's son stepped into history to be Jesus Christ, the God-man, to be our relative, related to the human race, to be the God-man, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead. That's why the offer of salvation, which is a free gift from God, nothing you work for, is for all human beings. And so, see, this, this nonsense about black people and white people, it's just nonsense genetically. It's nonsense scientifically. It's absurd. It really mm -hmm. is. And then the other thing is biblically. Where in the Bible does it say that? That's a good question. It doesn't say that. And besides which, if you look at the Hebrew word where it says he put a mark on Cain, yeah. actually, most of the commentaries I read say that word there really means he gave him a sign. It wasn't anything to do with any, anything put on him in his skin or anything. It's nothing like that. You know, I've even heard people talk about the so-called curse of ham. I've mm -hmm, even seen mm -hmm, that yeah. in Mormon writings uh -huh, as well. That's that true. they say that uh, that dark-skinned people come from the curse of ham. I've seen mm -hmm. that statement as well. But actually, ham wasn't cursed. There is no curse that's of right. ham in the Bible. It mm -hmm. was Canaan who was cursed. It and was it had, has to do with the spiritual legacy of Canaan. Because when you look at his descendants, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Canaanites, mm -hmm. uh, wicked people that rebelled against God. So it's got nothing to do at all with skin, co with skin color. And so the so, dark skin becoming white when you repent and become righteous that's just is nonsense. absolute, total Abs absolute impossibility. Nonsense. Yeah, there are, yeah, there are many dark skinned people in the world that are Christians and they're still dark skinned Amen. Uh, yeah. because their genetics is, is such that that's the melanin that they have in their skin. Yeah. So, you know, people, if people are talking about black people and white people, they're talking through their hat.
They really are. Uh, and we've got to stop. Even, you know, Christians have got to stop using terms like there's, a, there's some colored people. We're all colored people. If we're not colored, we've got a problem. And, and they should stop using terms like they're black people and they're white people. We, should, mm. we could say they're dark-skinned people, have a dark shade, others have a light shade, these have a middle brown shade. So <laughs> in a way, sometimes Christians perpetuate the problem by using those terms, which they shouldn't. Uh, we need to be scientifically accurate and in the we, way we, we say things. We need to figure out some more terms. That, on, on God's creation of man, woman, and marriage, in, as outlined in Genesis chapters mm. 1 and 2, can polygamy be part of God's program? Do you believe Absolutely it? not. But there, is, but there has been polygamous relationships, obviously, down through the ages right. uh, because of sin, right? You, it's not because of creation. Do you believe that the Lamech, who was Cain's great-great-great-grandson, mm -hmm. being the first polygamist mentioned mm -hmm. in the Bible, do you, is that significant? Yeah, significant because he rebelled against God. That's why it's significant. <laughs> it's so as simple the, as that. So the first polygamist hey, look, was in rebellion against God? Absolutely. It's, it's because of sin. And, and uh, of course, he decided to go out and, you know, try, try to even be better than... I mean, Cain was a wicked person, so he wanted to even be better than Cain in, in, in a sense of better in quotes. But, but here, here's the thing. Uh, Matthew 19, Jesus said, Have you not read, he which at the beginning made them male and female? And said, This is the reason. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh. Mm. You see, Eve was taken from Adam. Jesus there is quoting from Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, mm -hmm. and what he's saying is, because the question is, is in the context of marriage. So the, the right. question is, what is marriage all about? Well, he made them male and female, and you become one flesh because the woman was taken from the man. Adam only had one wife, Eve. Right. Uh, and, you know, now, it, it, it is true that down through the ages, even in the Bible, there were people that had uh, um, multiple wives. One of the things you notice about that is this, that whenever there's multiple wives, you'll notice that there are problems. And there's problems of jealousy and other sorts of problems, and the Bible doesn't hide that from us. Right. You know, the Bible is right. a very real book. It is. Because it doesn't hide people's sin. It didn't hide David's sin of adultery from us, uh, or, or what, he, what he did to, to obtain uh, Bathsheba as his wife, I mean, and having her husband killed. And say so the Bible doesn't hide um, that from us. I mean, if, 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 if the Bible was just an ordinary book, just written by men, wasn't inspired by God, they would hide those things. They, they wouldn't show yeah, us, that. Wouldn't show us those things. But you notice, here's, here's the thing that is interesting, that polygamy is not condemned in the same way in the Bible. And this is where people misunderstand it, I think. It's not condemned in the same way that adultery is or, or homosexual behavior is, which is just condemned outright. Mm -hmm. Now, we're warned about, you know, kings were told, you know, don't add wives to yourselves and so on. Um, and in the New Testament, we of course have a lot of detailed teaching about marriage. And you notice even for, for the, the, the bishops and the elders, you know, the husband of one wife and, mm -hmm. and, and so on. Um, but polygamy still maintains a family, but it's at a lesser level. All sorts of problems. It's at a lesser level. Mm -hmm. Adultery and homosexual behavior and so on destroy the family. So that's why it's not condemned. Now it's wrong, but it's not condemned in the same way, the put same on the same way. level as adultery or homosexual behavior or, or, or whatever. And that's why there are missionaries that find 
when they go to a pagan culture and they find that they have had uh, multiple wives, because there's children associated with that, then they, they don't come in there and say, well, get rid of all those wives, mm -hmm. because then it destroys that family. Right. But what they say is, now you next generation, now you do it right. Yeah. Uh, one man for one woman, so you don't end up with all, all these sorts of problems. Yeah, yeah good point. Another, uh, well, the book of Abraham we've talked about already tells us that matter is eternal and that the gods got together and organized our universe out of existing eternal matter. How does this compare with what the Bible teaches about creation? And would believing that story signify that the rest of the Bible is questionable? Very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Mm -hmm. Stop right there for a moment. The word for God there, you could actually call it um, a uniplural noun. It's saying that the Hebrew word means in the beginning, God, who is one, but more than one. Mm -hmm. And really, it's attesting to the fact, as we find out later on, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy the Spirit. Trinity. God is three, but one. Yeah. There's not three gods, there's only one God. Because that word for God means one, but it also means there's a plurality. Yeah. So it's, it, it's a fascinating uh, uh, Hebrew word there, the, the way it's written. So in the beginning, one God. In the beginning, what's beginning? Time created the heavens, space, mm -hmm. and the earth. Uh, space, mass, matter. time, continuum. Space, mass, and time all connect with each other to make this universe. So God created time. See, God's outside of time. Think of Second Peter 3, where in the context of the second coming, Jesus' return, uh, uh, the question is asked, where is the promise of his coming? And for, you know, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have done from the beginning of creation and so on. And what do we, what do we read there? To God, a day is like a thousand years, or a thousand years is like a day, which is not a reference to the days of creation or anything. Right. It's saying, to God, a day is just like a thousand years, a thousand years just like a day. Why? He's not limited by natural processes and time. Mm -hmm. He's outside of time. Time was created so we would exist. So you see, matter is not eternal. Matter was created in time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when God created the heavens, the space, because matter needs space to exist, and space can only exist in time, and for, for time uh, to exist, it's connected to space and matter, and so right there in the first verse of the Bible, it's telling us that the triune God, the all-powerful, eternal God, who is the only uh, eternal one, brought everything into existence, including matter. Matter is created mm -hmm. uh, by God. Uh, what, what about in Hebrews? He, he brought everything into existence from uh, basically out of nothing uh, by things that, 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 that are not seen. Ex nihilo mm -hmm. is the Latin right. for meaning right. out of nothing. So matter did not etern exist eternally right. and they did not organize the worlds. God created everything out right. of nothing by his word. Right. Can science and faith overlap or should they be kept in separate worlds? In other words, is faith or is it not scientific? You know, as soon as somebody uses the word science, I have to ask, and, and, and I'll explain, explain this, but I, I always ask them, okay, you use the word science, what do you mean? What do you mean by science? And you know, most people will look at you and say, what do you mean? I said, no, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean by science? Because see, what, what, what does science mean to the average person? And they say, you know, for instance, the question, can science and faith overlap? What science? What do we mean? See, the word science actually means knowledge. That's its root meaning. Okay, mm -hmm. and what most people don't understand is you can have, there's two different forms of knowledge. There's knowledge gained by observation 
that enables us to build our technology, to make iPads, to uh, make computers, to put a space shuttle around the Earth, to put a, a, a rover or Curiosity up on Mars, that's observational science. We, we can observe the elements of the Earth, we can experiment, we can repeat our experiments, that's what built modern medicine and, and so on. But when it comes to talking about the past when you weren't there, origins, mm -hmm. the, 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 how the universe came into existence, how life came into existence and so on, that's called historical science. That's, that's about history. Uh -huh. That's beliefs about the past. And see, here's what we have to understand, is the Bible is not, is not really a book of observational science, it's a book of historical science, it's a book of history, mm -hmm. okay? And when you have uh, secular scientists talking about evolution in millions of years, that's historical science. But when we're talking about building jet airplanes and computers and so on, that's observational science. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we all agree with observational science. We all agree with the way we develop modern medicine and yeah. the way we develop our technology. The conflict is two different accounts of historical science. One about Big Bang, billions of years and so on, but you weren't there to see any of that. One about God creating and that man fell and that there was a global flood and so on. And uh, that's recorded in the Bible. That's from the history book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And see, that history is true man's supposed history is not true. So the conflict between science and faith is this, it's a conflict between the historical science of the secularists and the historical science of the Bible, not the observational science. And, and, and once we understand that, it, it, and we start to separate out historical science from observational science, then people will start to understand why it, it's not science versus the Bible. It's not the Bible versus science. It's the Bible's history versus man's supposed account of history. That's the battle. That's the right battle. There. Okay. What are there facts supporting creation that have a secular, uh, a secular consensus in the scientific community? Well, you know, here's the other thing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the issue of, of creation, comes to the issue of origins, do you realize everybody has the same facts? The facts are not different. We all have the same fossils. Mm -hmm. If you and I went to the Grand Canyon, we, have, we see the same Grand Canyon, right? If we right. had an atheist standing beside us, would he have the same rocks I do? Exactly. He has the same canyon, right? We look at trees, do we have the same trees? See, it's not the facts that are different. It's how you interpret those facts in relation to origins mm -hmm. that's different. Mm -hmm. And you know what that depends on? Depends on your starting point to build your worldview. If you start with the Bible, the Bible gives us an account that God created. So when we look at the facts like like our, our genetics, like the DNA molecule that builds up our chromosomes, mm -hmm. we would expect to see evidence of intelligence, and we do. It's an information system and a language system. Mm -hmm. It cries out in the beginning God. Uh, when you look at the Bible's account of the flood, if there really was a flood, you'd expect to see billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid yeah. down by water all over the earth, and you do, because right. we got all these fossils, right? Um, when you look at the Bible's account of the Tower of Babel, in fact, as we were talking about skin shade earlier, because of the Tower of Babel, when God gave different languages, that's why we formed different people groups, right, that moved right. away from each other, end up with different combinations of genes, some right. with light skin, some with dark skin, etc. Most cultures of the world have flood legends like the Bible, and creation legends that sound like Genesis as well. Why? Because their ancestor had, had the, the real 
account and they've handed it down and changed it, but the real account is recorded in God's Word. Mm -hmm, and is. so you see, what we're saying is when you start with that foundation and go out and look at the evidence, you say, wow, this all fits, it all fits with the Bible. But you see, those who don't believe the Bible, then they're saying, well, we believe millions of years ago there was a big bang and, and man evolved and so on, animals evolved, but they weren't there. They don't have someone who was there who told them what happened. We yeah, do, yeah, right? right? Right. And so they have to have this guess, but when you look at the evidence, it doesn't fit. There's no mechanism to change one kind to another. You don't go and dig up fossils and have labels on saying, hi, I'm millions of years old, right? They have <laughs> to try to interpret yeah, that. that. And in fact, all dating methods that they use involve a change with time and then they have to extrapolate back into the past when they weren't there so they're all fallible and actually most of your dating methods contradict the idea of millions of years anyway yeah what what are the top uh, problems right now in evolution well um i would say one of the the the, the big issues that they just can't get over is this life is built on information uh, what I mean by that is this, you know, you're made of trillions of cells and nearly all of your cells, you have all the information that builds you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if you were to take that information and type it out, it's been estimated it would fill a thousand books, 500 pages, closed mm -hmm. type written. Wow. And now they say it's much more than that. Here's the thing, to get all the different kinds of animals and plants, the elephant kind, the dog kind, the cat kind, the human kind and, and, and so on, humans aren't animals. Uh, per se, of course, they're made in the image of God, so they're different. Yeah. But to get all these groups, these kinds, there's massive amounts of information. Well, for life to evolve, matter has to produce information. Right? It's like, it's like matter producing words in a book, in mm -hmm. sentences, but then you have to have a language to read it. Well, in our DNA, it has the information to make a language to read it. Mm -hmm. So matter has to produce a language. No one's ever seen matter produce one bit of information. No one's ever seen matter produce a language. Information only comes from previ previously existing information. And there's zillions of bits of information in life. Mm -hmm. And languages only come from an intelligence. So there's no way evolution could happen. It's absurd. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's like trying to program a computer without a language. That's right. The can't, information into it. Can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Right. What's macroevolution and how relevant is it to our conversations. Well, you know, we, I don't tend to use the terms microevolution and macroevolution, but here's what they would say. We, if you take dogs, we see changes in dogs, and there's different species of dogs, dingoes and wolves and coyotes and so on, but they're all dogs, they're all the dog family. Yeah. See, when God made the kinds of animals and plants, mm -hmm. he says he made them after their kind. Right. The kind is more at the family level of classification. So he made the dog family. Now within the dog family, you can get different species. When two dogs came off Noah's Ark after the flood, because there are only two on the ark, mm -hmm. then as they increased in number and split up because of all those genes we have, yeah. um, as they moved away from each other, different combinations survive better in different environments, you get different species. But that's a process involving loss of information, the opposite of evolution. Right now, we would you could use the term microevolution because see, just like the word science means knowledge. Okay, mm -hmm. I ask people, what does evolution mean? Evolution means change. Now, most people when they think of evolution think of molecules to man or ape-like creatures to man, but uh, when um, when you see those changes in dogs to give different species, you could call that microevolution. But it has nothing to do with macroevolution. Macroevolution is the idea that one kind changes into a different kind, reptiles into birds, reptiles mm -hmm. into mammals, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. See, 
reptiles don't have in their genes the information for a feather, which is a very complex structure. So if evolution is going to happen, you've got to have matter produce information to, for the instructions for building a feather. But we never see matter producing any information. Oh. So you see, macroevolution is impossible. Mm, doesn't happen. Interesting. If the Earth is four and a half billion years old, is that, if it is that old, is that long enough, even that length of time, for humans to evolve from chemical you, soup? <laughs> you know what? Well, that's the point. The point I was saying, life is built on information. You can have all the zillions of years and zillions and zillions of years, and evolution cannot get, happen. It's impossible. In out. fact, it can't go on even for millions of years because one of the things that we notice that in this world today, uh, there's a very high mutation rate. And because, because life has been on Earth for 6,000 years, according to the Bible, and you add up all the dates, not millions of years, only about 6,000, uh, if you take just the humankind, we carry such a genetic load that if you kept going on in the future, there comes a time when, when basically life's going to become extinct. Uh, actually, you could look at it this way. If you're going to believe in evolution, you wouldn't have even got to the ape-man stage. Life would have been wiped out because of all the mutations that occur. Hmm. So you see, even even trying to give them millions of years, it, it's, it just, it's not going to work. Hmm. Interesting. Um, as believers in the Bible, what are the downsides to us? And I, you've covered a lot of this already. Uh, to us Christians, to we um, as, as believers in the Bible, to embracing evolution, and why is it so important? Should we stay out of the debate, uh, debates of, uh, the, of science and evolution and creation? Oh, absolutely not we should stay out of it, because it's really an attack on the Bible. It's an attack on the Bible's history. And if you give in to that and you tell generations of kids, you don't believe the, you need to believe the Bible's history, just trust in Jesus. Wait a minute, the message of Jesus comes from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if its history is not true, and the history that the gospel is based in is not true, why, why should the gospel be true? It's an attack on the authority well, of the, the word. Well, the need for Jesus goes the, back to Genesis. Well, absolutely. But, but also, it's the, it's the fact that the message comes from a book. If the book's not trustworthy, if this is not God's, if it's not infallible, if this, if this has got contradictions and mistakes and you can't trust it, how can you trust any of it? How can you trust the message of the gospel? And what happens is it, it causes subsequent generations to doubt and disbelieve the Bible even more. And in fact, look, in the New Testament, uh, there's a warning for us in 2 Corinthians 11.3. Let me paraphrase it. Here's what it says, here's in, in, in what, what God through Paul says. I want to warn you that Satan is going to use the same method on you as he did on Eve to get you to a position of not believing the things of God. Mm -hmm. And by the way, what was the method he used on Eve? Right? Did God really say, yeah, you can become point. as God? In other words, we're warned in the New Testament, he's going to use the same method on us today. You can become like God. And did God really say, which is what? An attack on the authority oh, of the word, word of exactly. God to get them to doubt God's word, which they did, and that doubt led to unbelief. And Satan's going to use the same method today. And he has in this culture. This culture is just rampant mm -hmm. with they can't believe the Bible because it's not translated correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can become gods if we live polygamy or if we do enough good works. So it's a, it's it just fits same, right in with yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that same temptation today. And the yeah. teaching of, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're uh, Christian or a Mormon, um, they, they go to public schools and watch television where they see the teaching of evolution of millions of years and, and then when Christians say, well, we can believe that, then, then they've already discredited the Bible. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we can't 
marry the pagan religion of the age. Actually, I'll call it that because that's what it is. Evolution of millions of years is the pagan religion of the age to mm. explain life without God. Interesting. Well, I think we've taken up all of our time. I really do appreciate um, giving us your time today. And God bless your ministry and all that you're doing. Thank hey, you so thank much. Thank you. Our pleasure. Mm. And our thanks to Ken Ham for that interview. It was a great afternoon we spent with him and uh, just a great authority on that. Our lines are open if you'd like to ask some questions relative to creation and evolution and the, the things that, uh, that Ken was talking about there in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Big, big deal. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <clears throat> a couple comments he made which, which uh, we need to reinforce and, and think about. You know, I, I, several years ago I was uh, sitting next to a person we interviewed for an old DVD that we did. And, uh, and I asked him, he had lost his testimony for the Book of Mormon, but I said, so, so what about the Bible? Do you accept the Bible? He says, well, no, I can't accept the Bible. And I said, why? And he said, well, because of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the 11 chapters that start from creation uh, to Adam and Eve, and then you go to the flood, and then you go to the Tower of Babel, all those kinds of things. He said, it's because of the first 11 chapters. And that's exactly what Doris and Ken were talking about tonight. So where are you at with those first 11 chapters? Um, are, do, you, do, you, do you really believe that Adam and Eve were created? Do you really believe that God created the heavens and the earth? And, uh, and there's some important distinctions between the biblical account of creation and what Joseph Smith later brought about kind of an addition to that. It's not, it's not really a super set of information on the creation. It's actually in conflict with it. So if you'd like to talk about some of that, and I'll show you some of that in just a moment here. We're short on time tonight, so if you're itching to ask some questions, you got to do it fast because uh, we're running short because of the length of that interview. Um, but our, our number again, it's on the, sh on the screen, 801-973-TV20-8820. So please go ahead and call, and we'd love to talk to you about issues relevant to, uh, to those first 11 chapters of Genesis. Are they real or not? Let's look at some differences really quickly while we're waiting for some calls. And... Uh, uh, and uh, I think we'll go to this. In Abraham 4, Abraham 4 wine, this is in uh, 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 well, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, the book of Abraham. It says, I mean, very clearly, this is, this is how it went. It says, And then the Lord said, Let us go down. And they went down at the beginning, and they, that is the gods, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. Well, at that point right there, we have something of a conflict because you notice how many people were doing the creating. Gods, there's, there's many of them. And uh, that's, a, that's a clear problem. Let me go to another quote from, uh, uh, who did this one? Oh, Joseph Fielding Smith. He's a, the 10th president of the church. And he amplified on this a little bit. And he said, under the direction of the Father, Jesus Christ created this earth. No doubt others helped him. It's true that Adam helped to form this earth. Adam himself, he labored with our Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a strong view or conviction that there were others also who assisted them, perhaps Noah and Enoch, and why not Joseph Smith, and those who were appointed to be rulers before the earth was formed. That's from Doctrines of Salvation. So clearly, that's at, that's at odds at what we read in Genesis. And now let me flip over to Genesis for a second. And, and Ken had already mentioned this, the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God. Now, he mentioned it was a plural, and I put in there for the screen for you the fact that the word for God here is Elohim. Now, I know Joseph Smith taught that Elohim uh, is, the, is the personal name for a heavenly father, Elohim. So it says right there, Elohim, singular, Elohim himself, 
created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's, it's plural. Whenever you see an em on the end of a Hebrew word, that means it's pluralized. It doesn't mean there's more than one person. There's only one God. And God, with this plural attachment to give him, you know, the weight of a plurality, but he's still one. But there's something else going on in terms of that plurality. Um, let's, let me give you a few more Bible verses, and we'll take all of them together and see what it's informing us about this creation. If you jump into the New Testament, John starts his gospel in John 1. And when he starts his gospel, he doesn't start at the birth of Jesus. He starts at the creation of the world. John's gospel does. And this is what he says in John 1, 3. He says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who is he talking about? Clearly in the context, he's talking about Jesus Christ. All things, all things were made by him. Well, isn't that in conflict with Genesis 1, 1, that Elohim, the Father, created everything? Mm, no, not if they are together one God. Let me give you a couple others to kind of chew on for a second. Paul writes in Colossians 1. And in Colossians 1, he, he looks at uh, the creation process as well from a New Testament perspective. He says, For by him, we're talking about Jesus again, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And so Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ himself is the one who is before all things. Now, there's only one person at the beginning of everything. What was before all things? Nothing is before all things. He is before all things. Interestingly, though, he's talking about Jesus was before all things. And then previously, John, Jesus is the one who created all things. And in Genesis 1, it says... Elohim created all things. So this, this talking about the same person together is, is interesting. Let me give you a couple more, and now the one zinger that really gets to me. If you look at Ecclesiastes, gosh, nobody reads Ecclesiastes. But in Ecclesiastes, in passing, he says in Ecclesiastes 11.5, uh, Thou knowest not the works of God, Elohim, who maketh all. So now we have Elohim making everything. Previously, Paul said, he made everything. Previously, John said Jesus made everything. So who made everything? Is it Jesus or is it Heavenly Father? And the answer is yes, because they're one and the same. And just to clinch it, this one always just blows me away, Isaiah 44. When you get to Isaiah 44, 24, listen carefully to this. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heaven alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. By myself. So clearly we have this case that there was really only one person, one being involved in the creation, and together it's Jesus and the Father together uh, doing this. In Isaiah 44, 24, he spread forth the heavens alone, and he did the earth by myself. Okay, we've got a caller on line one. Uh, it looks like Bob from Puyallup. Bob, you're on uh, Polygamy. What love is this tonight? Hi, Jim. Hi. Hey, um, you know, on this issue of whether God had help, uh, I think there's a verse that we, as Christians, need to remind our Mormon friends, and that's the one in the, the end of Romans 11 where Paul quotes from Isaiah, and it says, uh, um, Who is first given to him? that it might be recompensed to him again, or who has become his counselor. His counselor, right. And these rhetorical questions are to be obviously 
answered in the negative. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, if, if God needed help and had counselors, then Isaiah would be wrong, because he asked the question, who has become his counselor? Right, right. And if, if there was a God preceding him, it wouldn't read uh, who is first given to him, that it might be recompensed to him again. Because if God had somebody before him that gave him information, knowledge, life, etc., then he would owe allegiance to that person. He would owe something to him, but that's not what we find in Scripture at all. Exactly. There's one authority and one creator in that sense. Exactly. Yep. Hey, good to hear from you, Bob. I think this is the Bob that I know. Yeah, it is. I'm the, I'm the one that uh, I was at your house. Uh, exactly. At the uh, Brigham City thing. Exactly. Well, good to hear from you. Thanks for the comment. That's great. Romans 11, wonderful verse. Yep. Thanks, man. God bless. You too. Take care. Okay. Okay, we have Rick in Salt Lake City on line two. Rick, you're on the air, and plug me what love is this. Rick, you're on. Is your TV turned down? Hey, how are you? Good, good. What can I do for you tonight? Yes, sorry, okay. Um, so, I just noticed that you were talking about Jehovah and Elohim. Um, it seems like you're pulling the name from God. And I'm just wondering how you decipher whether it's Jehovah in that instance or Elohim in that instance. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, it's hard to tell in some translations. Some of, the, some of the translators, in the English translators, will give you a clue based on what it says. Many times in uh, the King James, if you see the word Lord, usually in uppercase, upper it means Jehovah. Uh, the other times you see God, and usually all uppercase, it means Elohim. You can always, you can always figure it out if you have a, a Hebrew-English interlinear Bible, and that's where I got it from. I just went to the Hebrew verse, looked at the words, and it says Elohim, or it says Yahweh. Okay. Yeah. Um, and maybe just to follow up on that, if I can. Yeah. So, I believe that Elohim is God the Father, and that Jehovah is Jesus Christ, his son. Right, right. And so, I was wondering um, how you reconcile them being the same person versus them being separate individuals as Christ referred to himself as a son and having a father. Right. And, uh, are, Rick, are you LDS? I am. Yeah, and that's the, that's the uh, classic LDS teaching, and I understand that. It, the, the difference is the fact that when we talk about uh, the biblical idea of who God is, God is one, uh, Deuteronomy 6, so you know, here are Israel, the Lord your God is one, there's only one God, um, and yet, uh, but there's different persons uh, in God in that sense, and so you have Heavenly Father who's a person, Jesus who's a person, and you'll say, well, aren't two different people two different gods? Uh, no, they're, they're actually not, and that's a little bit of a mystery about how that actually functions, but we're his creation, he's the creator, we're not going to fully wrap our arms around it, but suffice it to say this, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, said, you know, there's not a word you're going to hear that I haven't heard from the Father. I'm, I'm speaking literally every word from the Father. You won't see anything I do that I haven't picked up from the Father. Uh, you won't see, you see this in the prayer in the garden, not my will, but yours. So when we talk about two persons, we're talking about this, this unbelievable supernatural oneness where Jesus doesn't and cannot even say anything of his own will. He and the Father are so identical that the two of them say and speak and do exactly the same thing. 
they also have a relationship with one another, and that's probably the mysterious part of the entire thing. But that's the short answer in a huge question. Right, right. That's um, it's a difficult one to um, when it's explained like that. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, it is. Well, and, it is, and I and I uh, and I'll admit that straight up. But that's clearly not my opinion or the opinion of some church authority that's over me. That's that's clearly what I read in the Bible. So, and uh, and, and you know when I read that that Isaiah forty four passage is uh, you go through Isaiah forty four, forty five, and forty six, and you'll see a lot about the oneness of God. Uh, and yet, you know, if if you talk to a Jew today and you talk about the Messiah from the Old Testament, the Messiah, is he just a man? They'll say, no, he's a, he's a lot more than a man. There's a lot of divine attributes to him. Is he another God? No, no, no. He's not another God. There's only one God. So that's what we're talking about in Jesus, the perfect marriage of God, fully God, and fully man together so that we can relate to him and so he can come on our behalf to die and bring us to, to the Father. Did I answer your question, Rick? No problem. Thanks for your insights. Okay, great. Thanks for calling. No problem. Okay. Yeah, that's always a difficulty when you talk about the, the Trinity in that sense. Let me, let me, while we're waiting for one more caller to come up, we're running short on time, let me bring up a super important issue, and Ken Ham touched on this. Uh, Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, are super important. Um, you can't just rip those out of the Bible and say, I take the rest of the Bible because starting after chapter 11, you've got Abraham and it's clearly historical. You can't claim before it was not historical. But it's important for one incredibly important reason, and that's the fall in the garden. Uh, the fall in the garden is not a fall upwards. That's doublespeak. There's, there's nowhere in the entirety of the Bible, and I've read the whole Bible, I think, there's nowhere in the entire Bible where the fall is painted as a, as a good thing in even the slightest sense. And I know, I know from, a, from Joseph Smith's perspective, the whole idea was that uh, the fall, okay, bad news, but sort of temporary bad news. It brought in death. Uh, that's a bad deal, but it allows us to have joy, it says in the second Nephi passage. But that whole idea that there is some good side to the fall is absent in the entirety of the Bible. It's a bad deal. And in fact, it's so bad that it's placed the entirety of humanity under the condemnation of sin that entered because of what Adam did. Now, I know you're probably thinking, uh, no, that's against the second article of faith. You know, we're not going to be judged for someone else's sin like Adam. And yet, let me, let me read for you a verse that, um, uh, that talks about this. And you, I mean, you tell me, have you ever read this verse? This comes out of Romans. And Romans 5 is a great place. If you're looking for a great place to look where the consequences of what Adam and Eve did in the garden that fall, what's the consequences to you? What happened to, to mankind and you as an extension? Um, Here's, here's just three little pieces of verses I took out of Romans 5. So listen to these really carefully because these bear on my destiny eternally and your destiny eternally because of what Adam did. Romans 1, uh, 5, verse 17. By one man's offense, death reigned by one. Okay, well, I think we all accept the fact that death came into our experience because of that. We, we get that. But, but your eyes go down a couple verses to Romans 5, 18. There it is on the screen for you, the middle verse. Now listen to this. This is careful. By the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And let that sink in. Not just physical death. By the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And then lastly, right at the bottom of your screen in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And I want us to close tonight with this thought because that's the, 
that's why we need salvation. That's why we need to be saved, is because the entirety of mankind uh, was, if you want to put it this way, genetically twisted in the garden because of what Adam did. We will be judged for our own sins, and that's definitely true. But which one of us was born with the ability to be sinless? And none of us have. And why? because we inherited that taint towards sin from Adam. There is a condemnation and a judgment upon all mankind because of what he did in the garden, which put us into the bondage of sin. So here's my question for you tonight. If you're thinking, you know, does do the first 11 chapters of Genesis have any impact into my life? Like right now, what do I care if there was a flood? What do I care if there was a Garden of Eden? This is why you need to care, because from the very opening pages of the Old Testament, God's trying to tell us that we are all broken. We are all in need of salvation. And that's why we do this show and other shows you see on TV20 is because of the very sense that we feel if you don't understand that, you're in severe danger eternally. Thanks for watching tonight. Doris will be back next week. We look forward to seeing her. Thanks for tuning in tonight to Polygamy, What Love Is This? Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.